I just wanted to thank you all for laboring in prayer for us, and I just want to take an opportunity to just welcome and introduce you to little Christian. This is our little boy, 15 months old now. Say hi. Say hi. Yeah. So it truly is a miracle that he's even here with us right now, because uh, just a few weeks ago, they were exhorting us to admit him into the hospital because of his weight loss. And uh, he had lost two pounds and continued to lose. And they were very, very concerned that his organs would begin to shut down. But we prayed. We asked God for wisdom. And since that day, three weeks ago, he's now put on a one pound, two ounces as of Monday. And he's alive and well. And he's starting to look and see everybody and so I just thought I'd introduce you to your speaker today because it's really not me that's going to teach you, but I believe the Lord has a plan and a purpose for this young man's life to touch everyone. So anyway, so it truly is amazing when we think about what God can do. And sometimes from a distance, it's hard. You look at him and you'd say, wow, he looks pretty normal, you know, from this distance, right? I mean, many would look at us and be like, wow, what's the trial been? I mean, he looks really good. And there's a truth to that, that he looks really good. But the reason he looks really good is not because of the fact that he doesn't struggle with great uh, illness, but because our God has been touching him from the very beginning. And um, so I did want to thank Amy and Dan, especially for their just uh, tremendous source of encouragement through this time as well. Uh, they've been laboring in prayer with us, and you guys as well have been joining them, our family here at Northgate. And uh, it really has made a difference. Prayer has truly made a difference in his life and in our lives. And uh, so what I wanted to do today was I wanted to just kind of take you through a little bit of this uh, journey that the Lord has put my family on in the last two years. Uh, just to give you a little bit of encouragement that God is with us. Uh, so, uh, as you now know that the Christian, he has a chromosomal disorder. It affects every cell in his body. Um, the likelihood of him living outside of the womb is, um, well, 3 out of 10. The mortality rate is 70%. Um, most people nowadays would choose to abort a, a child at, you know, as soon as they find out because of the complexity of his illness. Uh, but, um, of course, we just believed that God had a purpose in a, uh, for this young one's life because why would God do this otherwise? And so we trusted, and, um, and through that, we see now that he's still with us, and God has uh, still sustained him. And um, ironically, even just the last few days, uh, you know, his, he doesn't really have a lot of control of his eyes, so they kind of wander up here somewhere. And, but just even over the last few days, he's begun to actually like zero in and hone in on the person who's speaking to him and communicate with him. And he doesn't communicate like a normal 15, you know, a month old child, but he has his ways. We're realizing that he truly is uh, a child in there. He's a human in that little broken vessel. And, you know, that was something, uh, again, that the Lord had shown me in his life is that, uh, you know, great encouragement, and this is just a side note, not in my notes yet, but um, 
You know, when I really sought the Lord over his life, I just was amazed by the fact that one day we'll be in heaven and we'll be introduced to this young man who, you know, we'll know him because we know him, but we'll know him in a whole new way because we haven't known him the way that we get to communicate here on earth, right? Um, The chances of him uh, ever speaking are very, 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 very low. Uh, The likelihood of him walking is very slim. The likelihood of him living outside of adolescence is very slim, but, you know, that's all in God's hands, right? And so we just continue to give it to him and go day by day trusting him. So anyway, this has truly been the toughest time of our lives. Um, Today I'm going to share with you a bit of that experience and how we've seen God's sovereign care over this time in our lives. Um, He's also used many peculiar signs you know, through this trial to speak confidence to us that he, God, is with us. And ironically enough, I'm a pretty practical guy. You know, I'm not one of those signs and wonders chase after and look for a sign to know it's God. I just pretty much read his word, pray to him, seek him, and say, I feel confident God has directed me in this or directed us in this. You know, and yet there are some times in our lives where we see God, uh, you know, move in such you know, just peculiar ways, right? He would speak through a donkey or, you know, other crazy circumstances in the church or in the Bible that tell us that God just works sometimes outside the box, right? And uh, so God has truly done that, and I want to share with you a few of those things as well. In many ways, I consider this like uh, part two of my testimony. I've had the opportunity to come to Northgate for many years and actually uh, was invited to even share my testimony here and at some of the retreats. And, uh, you know, part one of our testimony is that, look, God took some unsuspecting people. Christine and I have been together since forever. So I think we were 13 and 14. So that's like 27 years or something of our lives. Uh, 27 of, um, I don't know, 40 of 42. She's older, so... Uh, it's my old lady. But uh, we've been together for nearly most of our lives. And uh, we, bro- we were raised in broken families. We knew nothing about God. We knew nothing about self-control. We just lived, you know, the way that human beings live without the Lord. And uh, God changed all that at 18 and 19 years old when we were introduced to Jesus And our lives were transformed. Nobody really around us believed that that transformation was really true. But we knew there was something truly different. Before that day, we spent many years together. We swore we'd never get married and never have children because, well, marriage always ends in divorce from our perspective. I don't think either one of us knew of a healthy relationship. And uh, children, who would ever want to raise kids like us? That's what we thought. So, like, that's it. No way. We're not into it. But then, you know, we got saved. Jesus began to show us his, you know, direction for our lives. And he transformed us. And we began at the age of 20. We got married. We started our family. And here we are now, nine children later, uh, just faithfully, you know, uh, uh, walking with the Lord, faithfully raising our children, faithfully just holding, you know, towing the line that he's called us to. You know, if you, two years ago, it was at the end of family camp, actually, here. We were here with you guys. Um, if you'd asked me, I'd say my life is great. I mean, listen, I've got eight wonderful children. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got a very successful business. I just built my house that's going to raise all my kids. 
I mean, like, it is all really good. And I'm excited for life here on earth. I'm excited to watch what God's going to do in each of their lives. I'm excited to watch what the next step is. We were faithful in ministry. We were serving. You know, just everything was good. But yet, God was ready to take us through part two of life, which is now, you know, what we've realized is that God uses suffering in many ways and to remove all the distraction in our lives, to remove those things that we desire most on this earth and, and draw us to desiring him and him alone. I want to share with you First Timothy in chapter 1. Oh, sorry, First Peter chapter 1. Starting at verse 3. We're going to look specifically at the verses 6 through 9. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, um, when we first came to Christ, the transformation was so radical in our lives that we just, uh, we were pleased to see God working goodness in everything, in every part of our lives. He was just, we, he promises, what is the, you know, as soon as we get saved, right, the first thing we say is this, right, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And I said, Lord, I will do that. With all my ways I will acknowledge you. And Lord, I trust that you will direct my paths. And he did on this earth. And he does continue to. But now he brings us to this place where he says, well, it's not about the direction on earth. It's not about the blessings on earth. But it's about... Uh, holding on to the promise of heaven and seeing eternity and the value and the greatness of the heavenly places and being with God. And so in this, I realized that the Lord was, you know, I've always taught it for many, many years. I would tell people, listen, in this world, you will suffer. But I would rather suffer for the name of Jesus than for my own name's sake. That's the reality, right? I mean, if we're going to suffer, we might as well Suffer for the name of Jesus. Well, it's easy to preach it, and it's easy to teach it, and it's easy to tell people, but when you actually have to go through it, you realize that now it's my turn. You know, and the reality is, not, you know, this might not be a great encouragement to you today, but you will all experience suffering on this earth. One way or the other, we need to prepare ourselves for it because it's one of God's many ways in which he is going to continue to mold us and shape us and refine us into the image of his son. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, are we ready for it? And what happens when it comes my way? 
And so I would have told you, hey, listen, two years ago, life was great. Life is good. When suffering comes, I'm ready. I'm strong. And then the Lord brings us to that place, and it's our turn. So anyway, uh, let me just begin. Let me take you a little bit of this journey. I'll fast track it a little bit. So uh, two years ago, we were here with you guys, family camp. We leave here, and within a month's time, we find out, hey, we're pregnant. Number nine. You know, is a, for us, it's many people would be like, we're pregnant. <laughs> right? Some, especially when you get to number nine, you're like, oh, we're pregnant. But again, I told you, right, where I was in my mind, hey, Lord, you've provided, you've cared for us, I'm successful, we've got money in the bank, I can afford another kid, this is great. We are embracing this wonderful news that we have number nine coming. So anyway, uh, we began to have some concerns. In December of that year, we were on vacation in Florida with the family, and Christine began uh, to bleed, and we thought she was miscarrying. And this wasn't new to us. She had gone through many, many, many miscarriages in our time. So, um, of course, she knows her body pretty well, and she's like, this is a miscarriage. It's happening. Well... Then the bleeding stopped. We came home. She got tested. You know, she went for a sonogram to check everything out. And guess what? There's still a heartbeat. So we're like, well, this is wonderful news, right? We're there at the hospital. They check it out. They test. And they say, well, there's something strange here, though. They're like, well, there's like this little void in the back of his head. We're a little concerned. I mean, look, he was, what, 20 weeks old at this point. I think he's 16 weeks old uh, at that point. And, uh, they're like, yeah, just so tiny, so little, you can barely see it, but there's this void. So, you know, we're, we're concerned. We think you should go for an ultrasonogram, deeper level, right? We're like, hey, no problem. Okay, well, praise the Lord. You know, we'll, we'll pray. God's going to take care of it. Our child's alive. That's all we need to know. We're excited. God is with us, right? Well, then, it was February 1st. It was terrible news. I remember standing in my driveway and seeing my wife pull up and just her weeping in the car, you know. She'd gone for the ultrasonogram, and she comes out, and she says, there's a big, big problem. You know, our child's brain didn't develop. And I'm like, well, what does this mean? They said, well, it's Dandy Walker malformation. So, of course, Dandy and Walker are the two doctors that studied this problem, and what it is is there's a part of the brain called the vermis that connects the uh, left and the right sides of our brain, and in many ways it controls what we know of the brain. It controls motor action. It controls, uh, you know, skills, capabilities, things like that. Um, but it also has, like, a certain responsibility to funnel out the cranial fluids, you know, because our bodies are constantly... our brain is in particular, our skull is constantly regulating the pressure around the brain to protect it, right? So when we get angry or we go for a run, we build up pressure, uh, you know, it increases in our brain through the vermis, some of that cranial fluid is released into the spine, into the body, and that's how we regulate that. You would never even know it, but that, you know, it's a big cushion for your brain. Well, his funnel's not there. So we've got a problem, right? Hydrocephalus is what they call it. It's going to build up a pressure in the brain. It'll likely, you know, uh, he, he wouldn't survive through it. So anyway, um, this gave us great reason to, uh, to begin to pray and to reach out to, you know, family and ask people to, you know, pray. But it was also very, very, very difficult 
time for me, I went into a bit of a shock, as you can imagine, getting that kind of news. I remember uh, not talking to a single person for days. I just couldn't. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I feared greatly for my son, and uh, which we found out at that point it was a boy. I'm going to read to you a couple of the things that, as m- remembrance that came out of that time. I had to tell my family. I couldn't even tell them verbally because I just didn't even know what to say. So I texted them, and I said on February 1st, so Christine had the ultrasonogram today. Results weren't so satisfactory. Our baby boy... Uh, has Dandy Walker syndrome. This is where the brain doesn't completely form the vermis. There are various levels of it in which we were informed is he has the most complex. What this means, we don't know, but we're told that we have some sort of, he'll have some sort of handicap from paralysis to blindness and anything in between. Though this is difficult news, we're remaining hopeful in the Lord to miraculous growth of the vermis. If God sees fit, to keep things as they are, we rest in believing in his grace, his, that his grace is sufficient for us. Then I just simply wrote, I'm not really up for talking right now. Because I knew the next thing would be everyone, what? So anyway, then uh, at that point, I just began to really research it and study it. And you try to understand it a little bit more. But on the other side of things in my life at this point... Um, I had really been seeking God for uh, a direction, what I have called my life statement, which I would really encourage you guys all, like, what is God doing in your life right now, and what would your life statement be? It might change and vary over time, but nonetheless, at this very moment in my life, I'm saying, God, what is my life statement? What is my purpose? And then he brings this, right? And so he uses this to help me to formulate and to put this life statement uh, down on paper. And I pulled my family aside that we had to tell our children. So on February 5th, well, let me back up real quick. Uh, My mom texted me right before that, so keep this in the back of your mind as well, that there's this prayer going on. Uh, February 3rd, my mom who was in Arizona at the time, said, I just spoke with Christine. I was praying and talking with God two nights ago. I prayed for my grandson's healing. I said, my grandson needs a name, maybe Christopher. And a voice said to me, he shall be called Christian. I continued my pacing and cried and prayed for the healing hand of God to touch our boy. If you need me, I'm only a plane ride away. Good old mom, right? So at this point, I always name my kids. It's my job to do it. I read this, I'm like, I name my kids. I mean, that's cute, but I don't think I'm going to name them Christian, right? (laughs) So, and I remember I was with Christine at the moment I read this. I said, so my mom just texted me. She said uh, that, she says God heard, or God told her that his name is going to be Christian. And I thought for sure she'd be like, no. She's like, I love it. I always loved that name. I was like, really? Okay, so, you know, now this is going on in my mind. Okay, what is this the name? And everyone wanted the name so we can begin to pray specifically for him, you know, at 20 weeks in the womb at this point, maybe a little further along. But um, so this is stewing and going on. At the same time, now I have to sit down with my children, uh, my eight other children. Some of them have absolutely, you know, they're this big like, eh? they don't have any clue. But then my oldest uh, who sang today, Walt, 
uh, you know, uh, at that time was 18 years old, and we kind of keep going from there, just go about every two years, you know, so many of them understand what I'm telling them. I tell them this is a really difficult time, and this is what's going on, right? So now God's really working, not only in my life, but he begins to work in their life, because now all of a sudden this, this trial becomes bigger than just my own. But, of course, Dad, you know, the Mr. Fix-It that I am, and the, uh, this is our, who we are, right? I said, don't worry, this is my trial. This is your mom and my trial. It's not your trial. And, uh, you know, I remember they told me, they were like, you know, this is ours to bear together. You know, and it was one of those things, like, I didn't want to burden my own children with this. We'll, we'll do it. We'll, we'll take the burden. But they were willing to be there with us. And so anyway, on that day, I shared my life statement with them. I love my wife and my children. I will give my life for them. I am a man of influence and will be an influence for the sake of Christ. I will choose to rejoice in the face of suffering, be strengthened by adversity, and find peace in the midst of chaos. And so as I wrote those words... I was just facing the reality that this is my future, right? Suffering, adversity, and chaos. It's coming, right? It's like you see the storm on the horizon. And so the Lord really used this to continue to minister to me through this whole, you know, process of, you know, just growing us and, you know, challenging us to continue to rejoice and to continue to find strength through it. And to find peace. Well, anyway, so um, February 8th, I spoke to the doctor on the phone. Christine was at uh, co-op with the kids. And I asked some matter-of-fact questions. I said, listen, what's the mortality rate? I want to know. I've read a lot of stuff right now. This is not the kind of conversation you have with your wife in the room. I said, "I just tell me the reality. What's the likelihood that this child's going to make it out of the womb? He says... Highly unlikely. And I said, well, is there anything else? I mean, what are there fears for my wife's health? My concerns over these different things, right? And he's like, well, listen, this is... He says, I'm sorry for what you have to go through, but this is going to be very hard. So that day, I just uh, put on an iPod and went out in the woods and I remember listening to the Lord just, you know, this uh, new song came up called Do It Again uh, that, uh, from the Elevation Worship. And I just played that song. And I just remember walking with just such a hardened, like, like numb to the world. Out, got lost in the woods for a few hours. And at, that's where, you know, I broke down. And I wept and cried and wept. And, you know, it wasn't for me. If I have to deal with suffering, I'll deal with suffering. But I began to realize what my wife would have to go through, the pain, the difficulty. I began to realize the fear that maybe this child's not even going to make it out of the womb. And even if he does, the challenges that there will be. And so the words to that song, though, the, is the one part of it, the bridge just says, look, I, I've seen you move. You've moved the mountains. And I believe you can do it again. So I just began to cry this out to God. I've seen you move mountains. I know you can do it again. But Lord, help me because I have complete unbelief. I just don't, I I can't see. Like they're telling us this, but I believe in this. And I know you can do it. And I, you know, and 
this is really important also for me as a man this day because I remember very clearly it was six years before that. It was six solid years before I, since I had wept a single tear. A good friend of mine died unexpectedly in, on March 4th. Um, six years prior to this. And I just remembered, I don't know why, God just continued to bring that to my mind. Like, you know, you haven't wept a bit. Yeah, and again, this tells you where we were, right? Just life is good. There's no need for crying. Just keep going. But now it's, I have no control over it. This is nothing I can control anymore. I can't stop him. So anyway, let's fast forward a little bit more. Um... This is just an ironic little thing that I thought was quite funny, actually. But um, at family camp that year, we had the opportunity to meet a very special man who was a, a, a minister to many of the Shilkies uh, through their uh, YWAM program. His name just so happens to be Verms. And I always thought, like, that's a very strange name, Verms. And, of course, now I have a son who's in the womb who has a missing Vermis. And I thought, that's an even stranger coincidence because I never knew of Verms and I never knew of the Vermis. And so then I get this email that Verms is coming into Princeton, New Jersey and would like to come and spend the day with us uh, and just pray. And, um, you know, and then he needed a ride to Newark. And I was like, well, Lord, I guess, you, you know, this is exciting for me. I just wanted to tell him, like, this is weird, right? Like, I know Verms, and my son's now missing a Vermis. What are the chances of this, right? So I actually picked him up in Princeton, and I said that to him. I said, you know, Verms, I said, a lot's gone on since I've seen you. And, I'm, and you know, before I met, or before this summer, I never knew a Verms, and I never knew what a Vermis was. But this is what God's, you know, bringing us through right now. And uh, he's listening, and he's like, that's strange, you know, of course, because, like, what does that really got to do with anything? But then it got even stranger. You see, it, that, um, that he says, well, what is his name? And I said, his name is Christian. And he goes, you wouldn't believe this. And I said, what? And he goes, my flatmate, who is a prayer warrior, prays for everyone across the world for me. His name is Christian. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding. My son whose name is Christian, is missing a vermis. And now I have verms and his flatmate, Christian, praying for them internationally. I just thought that was just one of those unique, you know, moments where you're like, God, what? You're right. But nonetheless, what is God doing constantly through all this? Is he saying, I'm with you. God is with us. I also remember uh, Amy Shilke sharing with us that she had been praying for him and uh, the Lord had given her a prophecy that his life would touch the lives of many. You know, and we were like, okay, well, we're expecting him not to make it out of the womb, but I don't know what you mean by that, right? And so now we're beginning to realize just how these things, these little things that God has done along the way, uh, that, you know, to continue to just build up our confidence that he is with us. Well, here we are, May 10th. Christian is born. He began... What happened was in the womb, uh, he was born er, prematurely, six weeks early. He um, stopped moving one night, and Christine was very concerned, so she's like, I haven't felt him move in hours. Um, so we went to the doctor or to the hospital, and you know, they were like, well, everything seems okay, but let's just monitor. And so we went in. That was like, I'd say, 8 or 9 o'clock at night. It was like 1 o'clock in the morning, and he hadn't moved a single bit. 
but yet he was still okay in there. And of course now there's these, this balance of what do you do, right? They're like, we want to take him out. We got to get him out of there. He's just at that cusp where he could probably survive outside of the womb through, you know, uh, prematurely. And um, so at that point we just said, well, I mean, okay, right? We were like, this is God's will. We're, we're trying to just, you know, follow him. And so um, it was a difficult thing to decide to do. It was the first cesarean that Christine had to have. We've always had our children naturally. Uh, it was always a very, very spiritual experience for us to, you know, just to, to, you know, even through the whole birth. But now it's out of our control. Now my wife is going to, you know, instead of me even being near the, the whole circumstance, I'm going to be on the other side of a veil, you know. Uh, so anyway, this is, you know, uh, the night. It was ironically enough, though, May 10th, Christine and I started to date. It was literally nearly 27 years to the day that we actually had, you know, begun our dating. We, we call our dating uh, um, uh, anniversary May 11th. And he was born on May 10th. And yet, even there, we're terrified. But God surrounded us with these believers, even in the hospital. I remember we were in the um, waiting area for her to go in for the C-section. And the surgeon, who was going to perform it, she just came and she saw, like, I mean, we had, there's enough to be nervous about through a C-section alone. But then to the complexities of a child who may not even survive as soon as he comes out, there's a lot of fear. And this lady, she just loved the Lord. She looked at us and she says, it's going to be all right. Jesus is with us. And she just got down on her knees and held Christine and she says, it will be fine. And we were just like, thank you, Lord, because I was like terrified. You know, I, I mean, I, and anyway, we're so grateful for those that the Lord brings, you know, alongside of us to even in the midst of this. So anyway, he's born, uh, of course, prematurely, all kinds of tr- troubles with that. We give him his name, Christian, May 12th. We're in the hospital. Uh, Christine has a couple more days there. We're sitting there with Grandpa Ed, who uh, is just a dear man in our lives and has been our pastor and just a mentor in my life for many, many, many years. And so we were like, we've got to give him a middle name so that they could do the birth certificate. And uh, he goes, you should just give him the name Joshua. That way he'll bear the name of Jesus twice. And I said, praise God, let's do it. Joshua, Christian Joshua. He bears the name of Christ twice. Now, when the Lord confirmed to me that his name would be Christian, was out in that wilderness experience of mine, right, where I was like, Lord, is this his name? And I remember God clearly saying, his Yes, his name is Christian because he is a stone of remembrance that your identity is in Christ alone. And this is who you are, not only as an individual, but as a family. You are mine, right? And so now we give him the name Jesus twice to remind us it's Jesus, Jesus. Well, if that didn't get weird enough, right? Now, May 17th comes along. And at this point, they had done a deeper level uh, um, uh, chromosomal, you know, study. And uh, they came back and they said, we need you guys to take a seat. We got to talk to you. Okay. Well, your son has a, a major genetic disorder and it's called 
Emmanuel syndrome. And we were like, what? Say that again? God with us syndrome is what it is. Emmanuel means God with us, right? So we're like, they're waiting for us to like break down and we're just like, wait, wait, what? Emmanuel syndrome, right? And we're just like, it's just so mind-boggling that now he bears the name of Christ three times, right? Now, Emmanuel syndrome is a really complex uh, syndrome um, where we thought that if you were to look at, you know, the, the problems that this young man has, Dandy Walker syndrome at that moment in our lives, we thought was the pinnacle, right? That was the big problem and everything else was a symptom of that problem. But then we find out that he has this Emmanuel syndrome, which actually takes Dandy Walker and puts it way at the bottom and says, this is just a symptom of the greater problem. The greater problem is that he has God with us syndrome. Now, my wife laughs because it's actually named after Dr. Emmanuel, who studied it. But I'm like, well, she was named after Emmanuel, God with us. So it doesn't matter. It's Emmanuel syndrome. It's God with us. And so, of course, we began to look at that. Well, I mean, it's really not good to look at these things, right? The statistics, the chances, the risks. When Dandy Walker was, you know, the, the rate and the chance of life there, and now we uh, compound that with all these other things, the reality is the likelihood of him even being alive today is like, like 3%. There's 15, uh, 1 in 15 million chance of someone having uh, some sort of uh, Emmanuel syndrome complexity. Uh, he has the most complex of that complexity. He has all the worst symptoms you can have. He was born with a hole in the heart. He's born with the, uh, a cleft, two cleft palates. Uh, he's born with the missing part of the brain. He was, you know, and just the list goes on. He had the lung problems. But yet, you know what? Slowly, in the times God healed the heart, he didn't need heart surgery. Most of these children that are born with Emmanuel syndrome uh, are in their first year of life go through 10 to 15 surgeries just to keep them alive. He's been through two? Well, yeah, well, some of them are redos. They were all hernias, really. <laughs> Pretty much. And he has a shunt in his brain. They were concerned of hydrocephalus, so they did put a shunt in his brain. But even praise God on that, you know, it's actually, it's got a little magnetic valve to close it, and it's literally at the last setting where they're like, yeah, he probably didn't need it. But uh, I guess we, we, you know, we just kind of jumped the gun on that now. So like every step of the way, God has been with us and he has been doing this and he has been caring for him and he's been you know, showing us just more of, of his sovereignty and himself being with us no matter what. So I, of course, we get this news that it's uh, Emmanuel syndrome and if we go out and start to tell people, well, the, the one thing that I remember the most is I remember telling Dan and uh, via text, and he's like, no way. And I'm like, what? And he's like, I was praying, and all I heard God say was, Emmanuel. And he actually sent me a song that had been ministering to him that he wanted to minister to me, which was called Emmanuel. And I was just like, you know, again, Lord, the Lord uses all these different things to continue to reveal that he is with us. Well, so anyway, to, you know, one last ironic, weird little thing. So I play in the worship team, and on May 21st, I was still on schedule, and uh, I was like, I'm going to do it. I need to do it. This is like my release to be like part of the worship experience, and the music helps me a lot. 
So I, you know, went. I didn't have the song list or anything. And I just remember we were up there and um, the, it wasn't our main worship leader. It was this guy, Sasha, who was leading. <clears throat> and I flipped to the next song and it's the song called God With Us. A song that we had just begun to do in the church, right? So this is just four days after finding out that God with us syndrome is in my son. But now, you know, uh, now we're playing this song. And I'm like, I was actually kind of mad for a minute. Because I'm like, how does he expect me not to break down on this song? I'm ready to weep and cry. And I'm like, he had to know. He had to hear. And he was like, later I talked to him. And I'm not, I was just like, man, that song really ministered to me. He's like, and I told him why. He's like, Oh, bro, I didn't know. And I was just like, man, the Lord constantly, God with us, God with me. God is with Christian, and he's with all of us. And so, of course, from that point on, this, you know, uh, this, that was just the birth, up to the birth. And then we have the whole year of life, which was very, very, very trying and difficult. But we have seen God, God constantly touching his life. Like I said, the latest has been that he was, uh, you know, facing malnourishment, refeeding syndrome, the organs shutting down, all these things. Yet right before we came here, we, you know, we took him, you know, to the doctor. We were like, listen, I, we're, he's gaining, his countenance has changed. He's beginning to, like, smile. We hadn't seen a smile out of our child till he was one year, uh, just about one. I mean, he just, that's the, the difficulty of his, you know, syndrome. Uh, so, like, we're like, he's just, he's happy again. And they tested him. They're like, look, everything's fine. He's doing well. Just, you know, we're continuing on this path. His body wasn't receiving food. He couldn't eat. And now, all of a sudden, you know, I just prayed for wisdom. God gave me some direction on trying some new things and, uh, you know, just ways in which we were feeding him. And now he's gaining, you know, and... Um, Praise the Lord, because we were planning to come here, but it all just about fell apart just two weeks ago when we heard that, right? That we would be at uh, Philadelphia Hospital for months while they tried to figure out and diagnose this issue. But, uh, you know, God brought him here, and he's, you know, just as a testimony of his faithfulness and his love for us. So anyway, um, I want to share with you as we close and uh, just a couple verses that really, really just encouraged me because you know the one thing that i've learned now is this is that in first or i think it's second corinthians is that uh when it's written that uh you know uh god allows us to go through certain experiences and sufferings that we can have compassion on those who have you know who need compassion because you know sometimes we go through things and or you say well you don't understand but you know what Suffering, I have found, is a generic bubble. It doesn't matter. You might suffer with the sickness of a child. You might suffer with the reality of cancer coming. You, uh, you might suffer with the loss of a loved one. You might be going through some sort of complex suffering in your life that God's using to just, you know, uh, to draw you nearer and nearer to himself and to build that, you know, uh, that, that reliance on him alone but I know what you go through now. And for those of you that haven't experienced suffering, know this, is that when the suffering comes, know that God is with you. He is with us and he is with you. And James 1, 2, and 3 says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And God uses his presence sufferings to strip away our reliance 
on or our desire for anything else but him. I now know now what the psalmist meant when writing in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, I know this. I'm excited to see what God brings, you know, as time continues to pass and we wait for his return. In my family, and, you know, maybe I'll see some grandchildren, maybe soon, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, you know, we got to get married first, hopefully. But, uh, you know, I've got a few eligible ones. I only have one daughter out of the nine, by the way, so... Um, she's not eligible until she's 34, but, uh, anyway, um, I do know this though, is that as exciting as it is to see the good things that God does here on earth, there is nothing that compares to the glory of heaven. And for that, I'm ready. God brought me to the place where, you know what? Heaven is far greater. And so it's for us to look towards that, as in First Peter where he said, look, these things, this, you know, these various trials that you face, <clears throat> you face them so that you can be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, for all of us, Jesus does say to come. And so for any of you guys who are uh, burdened and weary, he says, I will give you rest. And today I know we have a special time that we get to just share together in communion. Before uh, we go into that, I did ask my son Walt uh, if he could come up here and play that song for you guys, uh, Do It Again, just so you guys could really experience that. And... um, Maybe you're facing a mountain in your life today and you need to be reminded that God has moved them before and he will do it again for you. And so at this time, as, we, as they lead this song for us, um, I just want to encourage you guys, just listen to the words, seek the Lord. If you need prayer, I think we'll have some of the elders and leaders and, uh, in the back to pray for you. Feel free to come back there and pray. Uh, And then after that, I guess Dan can lead us through communion. And um, I look forward to you guys all getting to see our little smiling boy back there. Amen.